Welcome to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette, with your host Steve Garrett, MC and DJ at one of the largest Corvette weekends in the country, Corvette Fun Fest, president of the Corvette Club of Kansas City, Missouri, and radio disc jockey at the number one radio station in Kansas City for over 40 years. Here's Steve Garrett. Hey, thanks for listening to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. I appreciate you tuning in. You can listen to Corvette Today on all podcast platforms like iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Anchor.fm, Pandora, Stitcher, Audible, and many more. You can also listen on your smart device. Just say Alexa or Hey Google, play the podcast called Corvette Today, and you're connected. Also, visit the Corvette Today website. It's corvettetodaypodcast.com. You can also sign up for Corvette Today notifications, updates, and information at corvettetoday.ck.page. And don't forget, join the Corvette Today Facebook group. We have over 2,300 members, and I'd love to have you as a member as well. First, I'd like to thank our flagship sponsors of Corvette Today, midenginecorvetteforum.com. If you'd like to join a new vibrant forum that focuses on the new mid-engine C8 Corvette, it's free to join this friendly community. You'll meet a lot of fellow Corvette enthusiasts like yourself at midenginecorvetteforum.com. Also, a new flagship sponsor of Corvette Today is CTR America. They're the OE supplier for chassis components for the C6 through C8 Corvette. CTR America also provides various aftermarket products like suspension and steering parts. They work with customers that have their own specs, unique designs, and requirements. The CTR Enhanced R&D process provides cutting-edge solutions, superior quality, and lightweight yet functional products, including EV products. CTR has brought to the aftermarket the same know-how developed as an OEM supplier. Visit the CTR America website and learn more at aftermarket.ctr.co.kr. Another new flagship sponsor of Corvette today is E-Tech. E-Tech is the expert and leader in custom flooring. Whether it's your garage floor, basement, patio, or front steps of your home, or a professional workplace, E-Tech is four times stronger than epoxy and comes with a 15-year warranty. There are hundreds of different patterns to choose from, and installation is completed in one day. You can walk on your floor in 24 hours. Call for a free estimate at 913-745-3732 or visit etechcustomcoatings.com. 913-745-3732 or etechcustomcoatings.com. I have my garage floor done with E-Tech and absolutely love it, and I know you'll love yours. You can see the pictures of it on my blog at CorvetteTodayPodcast.com. Also, a shout-out to CanadianCorvetteForum.com, welcoming Corvette owners from around the world. My guest on Corvette today is the retired director of design for the GM Performance Car Studio and also the co-curator for the Ratfink exhibit at the National Corvette Museum. He's worked at GM for over 35 years, serving on projects like Corvette, Camaro, Silverado, the Cadillac XLR, and many, many more. He is Mr. Tom Peters. Tom, welcome to Corvette today. Oh, hi. Thanks, Steve. I'm happy and excited to be here with you and talking about Corvette. It's been a wild adventure, I'll tell you. It has been, and we're going to talk about that wild adventure. Tom, let's start with your early years. Talk about your defining moment as a child when you saw that first Corvette and kind of got you into the world of cars and introduced you to Corvette, because that's a cool story. I'll tell you what, as a youngster, as a kid, and again, I'm eight or nine years old. Right. There are things that you see when you're a kid. You don't know why. They're just cool. You know, whether it's science fiction movies or spacecraft or airplanes, cool bicycles. I remember in 1963, Schwinn came out with uh, Stingray. Right. They're just cool. You don't know why. I had no understanding, obviously, of industrial design or style or any of that thing. But when things are intrinsically cool, especially as a kid, you just gravitate toward them, you know. So my first experience with Corvette was really a third grade. I went to Deep Haven grade school right near Lake Minnetonka. I grew up playing hockey there a lot, and among other things, baseball in that area. But at any rate, getting off the bus one morning, stepped off the bus with my pals and looked over, and it's like, it's like a silver spaceship landed. Now I know what it is. We rushed over to it. It said Stingray on the side. It was a silver split window. It was a dad dropping off his kid one morning. And that was an amazing experience. So every day we'd get off that bus. Sometimes we'd catch them. Sometimes we wouldn't. But more often than not, 
we would stand just glare at this car while the kid gets out and then drive off. One morning, I remember getting off the bus, and you know you just inspect those cars. You're just all over trying to capture every detail. Right. And one morning, there's something different about the car. And looking inside, you know how it's got the two split IP with the cockpit. And then kind of that, I remember seeing the radio. One thing you notice that radio's kind of up on end. Like that was very unique. And the kid picks up on that right away. It's like, wow, that is really cool. <laughs> one morning, there was something different about it. I looked in on a closer inspection. And again, this is 1963. There was probably a four inch, five inch diagonal TV screen in the console right in between there. I go, whoa. In that era, seeing a TV in a car, let alone a telephone or something. Right. Wild. This must be a different car because one day he'd show up and the radio would be there. The next day he'd show up, that TV would be there. So I look back on it now, that guy had two of these cars. Maybe one was his wife's or something, or maybe he just had two of them. This guy had it going on. Silver cars, which is like the designer color. Exactly. And probably, if not the coolest cars on the planet, this guy was driving. He understood what was cool, but he was putting technology into these cars, too, that was very futuristic. And so you can imagine how impressionable that was on, like, an eight- or nine-year-old kid and his buddies, you know. That's my first recollection of Corvette. And it was so exotic. Like I say, it was like a flying saucer landing from the future. and people stepping out of it. It leaves such a burning impression on Well, that's what got me into Corvette as well, Tom. That 63 split window was just revolutionary for me. And that guy had to be the coolest dad on the block for sure. He had to have been. I know you sketched a lot of things as a youngster. People, plants, animals, houses, but cars were your favorite. Now, in the 60, muscle cars were really hot, and obviously Corvette was king. Talk about those early sketches and those developments at that point. Yeah, born out of that early recognition of cars, as you know, that was an explosive era of car design and performance. And it, when you think about it, you look back, all that was going on, the whole hot rod scene, all that developing out of World War II, those guys making those hot rods out of P-38 drop tanks. As a kid, you don't really realize what's going on. You gravitate towards things that are cool and that capture your interest and they're usually really flamboyant and colorful and almost cartoon-like. And if you think about that era back there, everything was going on at once. The music, the Beatles, the Beach Boys, the Kinks, the Stones, all that going on there. And then the cars, they had the racing, had the, I call, I'll call them proto-funny cars, those FX cars with the extended wheelbase. And, right. And, you know, kids are drawn to cartoon characters, things that are amplified. Right cars with the altered wheelbase and they're jacked up and some of them have blowers or stacks sticking out of the hood right they have colorful graphics and you know you think about all the candy apple paints and all that as a kid that doesn't have his driver's license that how close can you come to them and you look at hot rod magazine i used to cover my walls with the posters of the you know the center foldouts of the cars so that the music the fashion planes f-104 starfighter can you think of a cooler name for an airplane it was a great era to live in wasn't it tom it was super era again i owe this to my mom and dad my mom was an excellent artist fortunate for me i think i got a few of those genes somewhere along the way i drew everything you know people cars were my favorite airplanes you're just compelled to draw stuff, you know, and work with your hands. And, you know, all the model kits came out then, too. And that was another wonderful thing that you just evolve into to get close as you can to these cars that are happening. And I go right back to model building. Think about all the things you learn intrinsically or just without even realizing it. Packaging, graphics. Right. How parts are made how they go together, painting, decals, you learn sensitivity and how to handle delicate things, different mediums. And then you understand the mechanics of how cars go together. Right. The train, what makes them go. All that I'm learning just by experiencing these scale models. And I can tell you, I can relate right back to those experiences to my professional career in the industry. 
talk about the posters and hot rod magazine. There's probably two other components to that that I can recall. One of those is Ed Big Daddy Ron yes. and his influence. And again, we talked about these bigger than life caricatures that were these race cars and all the hot rods and the custom cars of that era. But at any rate, Ed Big Daddy Roth and the drawings that he did, you go into Hot Rod Magazine, sometimes you have this two-page spread of all these t-shirt artwork. Right. And I used to copy those. I would inspect those microscopically because the images weren't that big, you know. But I tried to teach myself how to draw, you know, wheels and tires and different materials, you know, the shiny paint, the body sides, reflections and the glass. And then, of course, the expressive engines and pipes and fire and burning rubber and smoke. It's, oh, my God, man. These are these bigger-than-life cartoon characters that just, as a kid, you gravitate towards, you know? So that's how I kind of taught myself. I would try to emulate those drawings. And then take a step beyond that is I started coming across in Hot Rod magazines. I think it was also a new car preview would come out, and there were drawings by Harry Bradley. He was gone before I got to General Motors, but as a kid, I used to collect, I used to cut out his drawings, and they were a different level. There's something about his artwork. These cars were expressive. They had lots of character, but they were somehow even more correct. And that's the thing I was attracted to, I think, when I look back at Big Daddy Ross stuff. They were super overblown and amplified, but there was a correctness about them. Yeah. They were hyper, but the wheels, the tires, the engines, the components were correct, if you know what I mean. They were accurate in terms of their impression and representations of the individual components and all the, you know, the valve covers and the nuts and bolts and the configuration of the car. Although outrageously overblown, they were correct. And Harry Bradley took that kind of expression on an artistic level to a different level. And he would do these custom cars, and then he would do the new car previews, but there was something about them, the way the reflections worked. They were so precise. Yeah, that was a great era. Yes, so I would collect all that. And that would influence my drawing. I would reference those, you know, without... And again, I had no idea what design schools were or were... I didn't even know what design was. I just knew that I loved cars. I loved drawing them. I loved building the models. It was just my life. When you started getting into college, you were already working on cars, right, Tom? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Again, this goes way back to before I left Minnesota, you know. Right. My Uncle Donnie, he always had the best cabinet of tools. When we go down to visit, we'd spend time in his garage. We'd teach my brothers and I how to change spark plugs or check the filter, or he'd have us ride in the trunk or on the floor and listen for squeaks and stuff on a new car. You know, even maybe they didn't have squeaks. He's just wanting to get us involved, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's all we would talk about are these cars, these Corvettes and all these muscle cars and Camaro Z28s and Super Bs, all that stuff were out there on the road, these bigger the life caricature cars we grew up in the middle of that and that just further fueled all this that we're talking about in terms of enthusiasm around these cars for me and just left these impressions that were just amazing that have carried me thus far through a lifetime of cars it becomes more of the job and i used to caddy and I would hitchhike. Can you believe this? I would hitchhike to Minnetonka Country Club. Wow. One day I was, I was hitchhiking home and I saw in the distance 68 brand new Corvette. And I turned around and kept walking. I said, this guy's never going to pick me up. And I hear this <laughs> come in right behind me. I turn around again. Another spaceship landed only this time to pick me up. Wow. This guy says, hey, kid, you want to ride? I said, oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> I jump in the car, and, you know, again, here's this Stingray. And then and this is the first Sting Corvette. Everybody remembers their first Corvette ride, right? This is the first time I'd ever been in one. And, you know, that has that wraparound console that kind of cuts away from you, and then the big round gauges and the console and the stick shift. But, I mean, you're used to going up, and I think we had a Pontiac Bonneville, you know, four-door and all that. And then before that, we had a station wagon. Sure. So to get in a Corvette, again, you're getting in a spaceship. That's another memorable Corvette moment for me, you know. Absolutely. And then you look up and you see those fender flares. Sure. Just going up above. And, you know, what struck me was when you look at it from the outside, they look wide and low. But when you're actually sitting in the cockpit, it actually seems tight and kind of narrow and long. That hood projects out in front of you. Yes. It could be kind of this narrow, lean, nacelle kind of rocket ship kind of feeling to it you know again spaceship and it's like oh my god the sound of that motor hood 
him kind of looking over and kind of romping on it, watching for my reaction, you know, was just hilarious. It was all just a wonderful scene back then. Absolutely. The 60s were a great time to grow up in. Talk about when you graduated the Art Center College of Design in California, because your time in college led you up to your job in GM. It did. Talk about how you got there. Well, I'll tell you how I got there. Moved from Minnesota, spent a couple of years in Kansas City area, and then my dad changed jobs and we moved on to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Down in Louisiana, I'm probably 17. I graduated from high school there, so obviously I got my license and get my first car and all that. And that car, I learned to do two things. One was work on it mechanically, pull the motor out and all that. But two was learn how to paint because I saw the movie California Kid. And to see those flames on that 32 Ford or 34, I forget what, what it was, but those black flames, that, oh my God, I said, I got to do that. So that, you can tie that right back into building models. So I got some spray cans out, some tape, some model paint, some of the spray cans, laid out my first flame job on that car. Wow. That was my first kind of delving into full-size car stuff, you know, transitioning from models. So I went to University of Southwest Louisiana to start with, and I was majoring in advertising illustration. I just knew I wanted to be in arts, you know, or some kind of fine arts, but I knew you probably could make a lot of money in fine arts. So I did that not knowing what industrial design was. And then the second year, I went to Louisiana Tech in Ruston, Louisiana, because it had a really awesome fine arts program. So I was up there. We were in class one day. And a guy next door, next sitting next to me, he had this orange, like a square kind of a catalog thing he's paging through. And I'm kind of looking over at it and going, whoa, what is that? So what it was, was an art center catalog. And I open it up and here are like power tools and futuristic cars and furniture. And it was an epiphany, Steve. It was like, this is exactly what I've been doing my whole life since I was a kid. It was all embodied in this industrial design school catalog that was Art Center, you know? Right. I'm going to gather up all my stuff, and I'm going there. And But, you know, you had to submit a portfolio for approval, so I couldn't wait to get home. And by that time, my dad had passed. Well, my mom's home, and she supported everything that I did in life artistically. I put together a portfolio, sent it out. I was accepted. That's the start of my career at Art Center. You know, I had about a year there's worth of finances to make it happen. And my cousin David, he says, hey, you know what? When you go out there, stay with my buddies. We have a condo north of El Toro. So I walk in and here's a pool table in the middle of the living room floor. I remember this cool stereo, Bose stereo. So that started my California adventure and going to Art Center, which was amazing. And the other thing that I noticed before I decided to head out to California was I looked in the back of this Art Center catalog, and I looked at who the faculty was, and guess whose name was on the faculty? This is what cinched the deal for me. Who's that? Perry Bradley. Wow. He was a professor there. And as I mentioned, I had a binder full of all his artwork that I'd collected since I was probably 13 out of the Hot Rod magazines or whatever magazine his artwork was in, you know? Yeah. I'm going to go out there and Harry Bradley, one of my gods, was going to be a professor out there. And hopefully I could take class from him, you know? That would be cool. And it was because he was one of my instructors. And let me tell you. When I started those classes, and again, I was just shaking going into his class, I had to hold back tears. Talk about how you got your internship, because I know that you got it as a sophomore, when traditionally it was for juniors and seniors in college. Yeah, it was a point of kind of desperation. As I mentioned, you know, I had about a year's worth of finance. Saved up a little bit of money. That college was a specialized college. It was very expensive. And by the way, I met my, who now is my wife at Art Center there. Carol and my lovely wife. I met her my second semester. I made a little money and went back for the second semester. And I knew I didn't have, I could only last maybe another semester or two, then I'm either going to go to work or something's going to have to happen. And I knew they had these internships that they sponsored, that the different companies, Ford, Chrysler, and GM. I knew I wanted to work for GM, you know. Right. So I said, this is a do or die. Either I'm going to, I got to apply for this or I'm going to have to go back to work. So I rustled up my portfolio and I submitted that. But lo and behold, they selected my portfolio to come and join them for their summer intern program that year. Wow. 
I couldn't have been more thrilled. And let me tell you, it was a lifesaver, not to mention going out there and experiencing for the first time this professional mecca of design and creativity that was the GM Tech Center. I'm going to go to the place where these were designed by these creative men and women. They've invited me to come and spend time with them in this hallowed space. It just blew my mind, and I'm sure I didn't even realize the importance or the significance of that experience, even though I was early 20s, you know? Sure. And they were paying you to do it. And you get paid for going there (laughs) and spending time with these incredibly talented men and women in this environment. You know, I could, it was, it was mind blowing. So what that did was really turn the tide for me. I didn't have to worry about whether I was going to buy food or magic markers or pencils. Right. (laughs) So I could focus on my design when I came back because not only that, I got a scholarship for the rest of my school career after that, you know. And then the college also gave you the Lifetime Achievement Award for your contributions at GM. Talk about the Lifetime Achievement Award and the comments that Ed Wellborn made for you. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, at Art Center, going through that career and then being accepted and hired by General Motors, having a wonderful career, only to be acknowledged by this school that meant so much to me and created a life for me that was just magical. Come back and say, hey, you know, we would like to honor you and what you've done. And again, you have to hold back tears when I I think about what that meant, because, you know, it was a huge sacrifice for me to go out there. My family, mom supported me on that. And then to go through that, and I, you know, you can imagine going through college and all the things you have to sacrifice and blah, 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 the hard work and all that, and then your career to come back and say, hey, we want to acknowledge you for your accomplishments and who you are and what you meant. And so to go back to this was such an honor. Jay Leno was there and he co hosted that. I brought back prints of we originally we just introduced the c7 and brought back a poster signed for him and ed couldn't make it so he sent a letter and some notes out there and a video and i felt so honored by that and again ed i can't say enough about his trust and empowerment of everyone when he became the vp no one in my career enabled not only myself but the entire design crew What he talked about, in essence, was he kind of expressed his support and observation, uh, recognition of my passion for design and Corvette and all that went along with that. He empowered us to fully express that capability. I don't have any regrets or anything that I wish I would have done differently or felt restricted throughout his time of leadership. So to have him acknowledge me in that way in public in front of design community people meant so much to me. I think the vehicles that were generated during his period of leadership will bear that out. He was responsible for global design right, around the entire world. Tom, let's take a quick break and let's talk in the second segment about your GM years on Corvette Today. American Hydrocarbon, your one-stop shop for custom interior, exterior, and engine bay items for your C4 through C8 Corvette. We can help you create a custom look for your Corvette with carbon fiber or 10 different color patterns and styles. We've served customers in over 28 countries all around the world. Whether it's a custom-made engine cover for your new C8 mid-engine Corvette or custom-made C4 interior upgrades, American Hydrocarbon can help you transform your Corvette into a best-in-class show car. Our products have been featured in VET and Corvette magazines, so give us a call, 813-476-5638. That's 813-476-5638. Visit our website at AmericanHydrocarbon.com or email us at pat at AmericanHydrocarbon.com. Let us help you make your Corvette the car you've always wanted it to be. American Hydrocarbon. Hey, honey, are you awake? Mm, I am now. I can't sleep. Since turning 50, I keep dreaming of a red door and a blue door, somehow knowing there are only choices for retirement. Okay. Through the red door, we outlive our money. We have to rely on our kids. We're stuck on a fixed income. It's terrifying. Yeah, that would suck. But through the blue door, our money outlives us. We retire on our terms. Our kids stay our kids, not our caretakers. We make work optional. Yes, that's much better. That's what 
what I want too. But what do we do? We call True Wealth and Company at 913-653-8783. They specialize in helping successful people make work optional. They're our fiduciary Blue Door personal wealth managers. Hey, where are you going? It's 3 a.m. I can't sleep. I'm going to check out True Wealth and Company online at retirewithtrue.com. That Blue Door is going to be our retirement. 913-653-8783. Visit us online at retirewithtrue.com. Investment advice offered through True Wealth and Company, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of Kansas. You're listening to the Corvette Today podcast with Steve Garrett. Hey, thanks for listening to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. With me is retired chief designer, Tom Peters. Tom, in this second segment, let's talk about your years at GM. You were hired in 1980 by General Motors. Talk about your first assignment. What cars besides Corvette did you work on? Okay, sure. When they had the interviews, Chuck Jordan actually came out and I spoke with him and he's the one that actually hired me. As you can imagine, I was thrilled. But I went into the advanced area the advanced studios. I worked in Advanced One there in the process of building a new wind tunnel at the time. And so we did a lot of aero vehicle research. How could you mix that functionality and how could it affect the styling and how a car looked even more so than it had previously throughout the years? And eventually you became the chief of the advanced studio. Mm-hmm. The way the structure was at the time, and it, it evolves over time, is that on the first floor, there were several advanced studios. There must have been four or five advanced studios, and then they had production truck studio on the first floor. On the second floor of the design center building were the production studios. And the way that the advanced studios differed from the production studios is that and over the years there were actually some production programs in the selected advanced studios but primarily their function was to explore different design philosophies or experiment for instance in our case we were focused on how could you integrate aerodynamic functionality with aesthetics so it's pure concept exploration and development very nice that was the main goal. And so when you get into a production studio, that is focused on producing an actual funded program with a product solution. And therefore, you involve all the different entities. Just to mention a few, you've got serious production engineering, you've got manufacturing teams, you've got marketing, you've got brand, aerodynamics, of course. And to varying degrees, even in the advanced views, you comprehend those, but usually from a design perspective, you know, so you're left to freely express future vision solutions, you know, and then to be allowed to create a vision that everyone can agree upon. It's a big decision to go forward with a design or a vehicle configuration concept to make the decision, okay, we're going to turn this vision, this concept car into a real product that people can buy. I can't express how important a decision like that is and what it takes to get to that point. That was kind of my understanding, at any rate, of the difference between advanced studios and the production studios. As a matter of fact, Tom, talk about the difference between the advanced studio and the GM Performance Car Studio, because you were chief of both of those, but how do those two differ? At one point, I was assistant chief in the Pontiac studio, actually. And then after working for Jerry Palmer in the Chevy 3 studio for a number of years, I started out in Advanced 1 and then moved to Advanced 3. The chief in that studio at the time, his name was Emil Zawada, super talented designer, and then assistant who became really good friends. His name was Jim Beak, huge talent. The other thing you come to realize early on is how important the sculptors are. And it's one thing you're drawing and sketching and as a kid building models and all, so I understood that. But what you come to find out, and it was kind of a little bit frustrating at first, and even in school you build your own models. But when you get in a professional environment, you have these incredibly talented sculptors. And again, they are born with these gifts of being able to interpret designs or ideas 3D. And what happens within a journey of design is, say, Chuck Jordan or the leadership come across something significant in a model. They would take that model and put it on display. We called it Hollywood and Vine. It was on the second floor of design staff. And it's the intersection of the main hall that connected the two elements of the building, one being kind of the executive part of the building. This long glass corridor went by the library and the color studio, and then it entered in kind of a T intersection through these glass doors that would pull back 
back when you approach them that would open up to the production studio. So right there at that intersection, they would place a model and usually had a background on it that showed sketches or a piece of artwork of what inspired that model or whatever. So one of the models that came out of that Advanced 3 studio that was modeled by Fred Hostile, and again, my leadership was uh, Jim Beak, I put this model together, put it up on display there, and Jerry Palmer who was chief of the Chevy 3 studio at the time, which was responsible for Corvette and Camaro and Beretta at the time, noticed that and invited me to come up to the Chevy 3 studio to join the Corvette team. That was when I was first invited upstairs to, to join their team. Then I was promoted to assistant chief. And then out of that position, I was given the opportunity to become chief right back in the original design advanced studio that I came from. Never my wildest dreams. I just worked hard. I wanted to just do what I felt was the best for design, and I was recognized for it. And you're working on Corvette, which is just absolutely incredible. So all that, thank you very much for Chuck Jordan and Jerry Palmer. Oh, yeah. The first assignment I was really given in Jerry Palmer's studio really was born out of that model that Fred and I did in the advanced studio, evolved and influenced actually the Corvette Indy, which was my first assignment working under Jerry Palmer in that Chevy 3 studio. So imagine this. So here's this young kid, comes to work for GM, came from Louisiana, gets his design selected and pulled up to Chevy 3 and Chuck Jordan had seen in that model at that very time they wanted to do a design that highlighted and featured the Ilmore Indy 32 valve racing motor that's where the Corvette Indy came from so that little scale model kicked that off and we moved down into Studio X which is a whole other story you know GM design has this lore of Studio X which was a number of different locations by the way throughout the building and again those were spaces that were created to have kind of quiet time where you didn't have a lot of interruptions and distractions where you could focus on expressing a pure vision. The Corvette Indy was one of those. So here's, again, here's this kid designer given an opportunity to work on this fabulous Corvette concept car, which you know, there hadn't been a Corvette concept car done in a while. If you think back to the Paris car, the Aerovet, and then maybe the 59 Stingray, those were phenomenal cars that influenced Corvette's future. I know that Chuck Jordan had created a contest for the next generation Corvette. Talk about that contest and what generation was that for Corvette? It was the fifth generation Corvette. And again, that was after I was given the opportunity to lead an advanced studio. And this is right when they just kicked off the fifth generation Corvette theme exploration. And having had the background and done some of that Corvette Indy concept car and some other Corvette things and while being in Chevy 3, it was natural for us to, you know, Chuck invited my studio. And then obviously John did some exploration in the production studio, which was entirely responsible for the production version of the C5. And then we had a California studio. I think it was under John Chanella was the chief out there. Chuck also gave them an assignment. What would the next generation Corvette, could it be, you know, as a vision statement? My studio, John's production, Corvette studio, and uh, the West Coast was called ACC, Advanced Concept Center, out in California. They also developed one. And it all culminated with a show, which happened, I want to say, late April. But at any rate, we pulled three cars together. John did a theme, and then I did a theme, the Advanced Studio, and then the California Studio. So I thought, oh, you know what'd be really cool is to have these models presented like an aircraft. I, I was thinking F-16. So I thought, well, you know, maybe if I run by Jerry, say, give him an idea how we could do this. And Selfridge Air National Guard Station is out here in Michigan, not too far from us. And it just so happened one of our aerodynamicists was a fighter pilot. I mentioned it to him, and he approached them. They said, yeah, we could probably work something out. So I don't remember the exact circumstances, but at any rate, it was approved that we could deliver some cars out there and stage them with an F-16 fighter. We wanted to have a special occasion to represent the next generation Corvette. And everybody knows how special that is to, to introduce a new Corvette. So Chuck agreed to join us for that presentation without knowing what was really going to happen. So we hired a bus and the team got aboard and John's team 
my studio team and then the team from California flew out and they had, you know, they shipped the car out via truck. And those were all being transported and set up out at Edwards Air Force Base. And then so we picked up everybody at design and then Chuck came aboard the bus, not knowing what was going on other than it was something about Corvette. He didn't know where we were going or anything. So you take a busy executive like that out without the knowledge of where he's going is kind of scary, you know. He went along with it. He knew it was going to be something good. We put a lot of thought into it. So we drove out, uh, pulled in, and sure enough, we pulled out of the tarmac, and there was an F-16 with three cars covered with car covers. I'm looking at Jerry, and I'm looking at Chuck and the other leadership that were out there and taking valuable time out of their day. And you could tell they were like kids. They were smiling, and they were like, whoa, this is really cool. That's awesome. We unveiled them one at a time. I refer to John and my car. He had a black concept car that kind of inspired by GTP racing then. You know, I did one that was kind of heritage inspired, but in a modern way. And then the California studio did one kind of, it was called the California Stingray or Stingray 3. And our two vehicles, John and my vehicles were static models. They weren't full runners. Where California, they have a little bit more freedom out there in terms of what they can do budget-wise and resource-wise. They actually did a running concept. Wow. And it was a V6 car that was smaller in size. Each team unveiled the car, each individual cars. It was just a fabulous experience. It all worked out better than I think anybody expected. But anyway, the cars were the stars, and they gave the tours. They even had like an engine stand there where they had a jet engine, and they fired it up and let it roar, and they gave them a tour of the base and all that. We just had a wonderful experience, went back, and it was delightful. Brought the cars back and displayed them in the design dome for everybody to come and see, and and again, at the end of the day, yes, it was a friendly competition in my view. It was serious business because we were trying to establish the direction for a next-gen Corvette. And from my standpoint, I can tell you that, yeah, it was a friendly competition. But at the end of the day, we were supporting John Cafaro's assignment of creating the next-generation Corvette. So we shipped our model up, as did California, up to his studio. And they were able to draw from whatever they felt was uh, appropriate to contribute to the final theme that was the C5, the fifth generation Corvette. It can't be new just for different sake. It's got to be new for significant sake. And what the history of Corvette has always been is this wonderful integration and combination of function and form it had to be a beautiful dynamic sculpture, but it also had to perform spectacularly. The customer expects that. And even on another level is that it makes Corvette unique is that this is a serious, high-performance vehicle. It's beyond just a passenger car. We're talking today here, Steve. You know, I still love the car. I can, We talked about going back to when I was a very young childhood, and it's no different now other than I've had this experience. We have to understand the enthusiast and our customer, but you know what? Design this car for the 10-year-old kid. If you do that, you're going to get everybody else. You get the attention of the future customer inspired one way or another. Also, you were named the chief of design for C6 and C7. Yes. Talk about the Transformer Corvette. That's my favorite concept Corvette. And then also talk about how you got Ed Wellborn's permission to call the C7 a Stingray because it had been 39 years since we had a Corvette Stingray. Oh, yeah. Well, that, those are kind of two separate stories. The Stingray concept car. We had just finished the C6 Corvette. I set a goal for myself, you know what? I want to bring back the Stingray. I mean, how huge would that be? Because it had been gone for a while. And again, it's such a huge impression or character that Corvette owns. It means so much. It embodies so much imagery. So how cool would that be to bring that back? During the course of the C6, if you look at some of the development photos of the C6 in various magazines or publications or some of the historical data, you'll actually see on the front fender, you'll see little Stingray badges. And I remember during that time, I had sketched up a little what a new Stingray might look like, and then I gave it to our graphics department to kind of develop some badges. Right. But uh, I, I, I don't remember the specific review, but I remember we had a review with Ed one day, and I proposed that to him, and he said, mm, you know what, during what we're having to work with on C6, I think we're not there yet. 
because it's more than just the way it's designed. It's got to be the entire embodiment of the vehicle and all the elements of it in order to warrant bringing back the name Stingray. He, he said that. So, yeah, of course, we're disappointed. We continued on and want to make it the best it can be. But not until the C7 did we obviously bring back the name Stingray. More often than not, I'd have, whether with people internally or outside to go to the Corbett events, why don't you guys bring back the 63 Stingray? You know, why don't you guys do a modern split window Stingray? You know, and to us, we always want to move on and do new things and explore new things and all that. But that had been a prevalent request and commentary, and everyone acknowledged the timelessness and how cool that split window is, the 63 is. I would like to touch upon the Transformer, what happened with that in the movies. Once we had built that concept car, the Stingray, Michael Bay, who was starting production of the Transformers movie, he was inspired by the Camaro concept car that would become Bumblebee. It would be a central figure in that movie. There are a number of different vehicles that were characters in those movies and those stories Right. that go all the way back to the cartoon series. So he visited design staff one day hosted by ed and so ed was showing him several different cars that he might be interested in incorporating into his movie and we had the stingray on display and he just went bockers he just loved that vehicle he said this has got to be in the movie me and jim of course agreed so that became one of the characters within the movie that's my favorite concept car. As a matter of fact, I saw that Transformers Corvette here in Kansas City at the Kansas City Auto Show. I don't remember what year it was, but it was maybe 2012. Yeah, I remember shipping it down there. Yes, and I looked at that and I thought, oh my gosh, that is a Corvette I've got to own. And I saw those gullwing doors and I saw the split window on it. And I said to the representative in the booth, is this going to be a real car? And they said, yeah, it is. When we did the C7, because of the influence of that car, as you know, again, Stingray concept, that's when we fully expressed that new Stingray logo, did that logo on the back panel and on the sides. That's when Ed said, you know what, this C7 model, it warrants and it's worthy of the Stingray emblem. And let me tell you how profound, how momentous that occasion was. I bet you were popping champagne, weren't you? Absolutely. At least in my mind, I was. Buddy, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about your years after GM and your new position with the National Corvette Museum on Corvette Today. VetFinders.com is the Internet's original Corvette classified ads website with classified ads starting at just $25. And every ad runs until your Corvette is sold. If you're in the market for a Corvette, VetFinders.com has over 500 Corvettes for sale from all around the USA and Canada and covering all eight generations. Visit VetFinders.com, the Internet's destination for buying and selling Corvettes. That's V-E-T-T-E Finders.com. KC Trends Motorsports has been the Midwest's largest custom wheel superstore for over 25 years. They specialize in C8 wheel fitments from the top brands in the industry, like HRE, Vossen, ADV1, Avant-Garde, and more. They ship daily from their Kansas City location to all upper 48 states with the best pricing and inventory in the country. Need tires? KC Trends Motorsports has you covered. They have tires in stock from Michelin and Pirelli. Plus, they can help you with a customized wheel and tire combo for your Corvette to truly make it one of a kind. And if you need wheel ideas, no problem. Simply go online to kctrends.com for their car and wheel visualizer. See the wheels on your Corvette before you purchase. Also, there's dozens of wheels and tire combo pictures to look through online to spur your imagination. And their expert staff is there to help you with wheel and tire sizing and offsets for your C6, C7, and C8 Corvette. Visit them online at kctrends.com. See them on Facebook and Instagram. Make any Corvette a one-of-a-kind with KC Trends Motorsports. Call them toll-free, 877-962-5200. KC Trends Motorsports. And now, back to Corvette Today with your host and my husband, Steve Garrett. Hey, thanks for listening to Corvette Today. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. With me today is Tom Peters, the Chief Design Director for the C6 and C7 and C8 Corvette. In this final segment, we're going to talk about Tom after his years at GM. 
Tom, in 2019, you had the huge honor of being inducted into the Corvette Hall of Fame. Talk about that experience. That had to be phenomenal. You know, Steve, it was phenomenal. Again, all that we've talked about here, going all the way back when I was a kid, nine or 10-year-old kid, to culminate a career with Corvette, let alone being hired by Design Center. And then to be honored in a way in the Hall of Fame at the Corvette Museum is an honor and just an experience that I still don't know if I fully comprehend how wonderful that's been. You know, I've gone to the Corvette Museum over the years throughout my career, different events and different presentations and incredible people inducted into that Hall of Fame. And when you walk into that dome and you see all these people, the men and women on these plaques that surround in their dome structure, to be even associated with those people, again, is an incredible honor Having that nomination and then being inducted to the Hall of Fame there, the experience was, it it was kind of surreal. I equated it almost to being at a huge wedding because it's sort of a blur. You know, you're inducted in, you have friends, family, colleagues during this event. It's just spectacular. And then to stand up and accept that offer and look out over this crowd of passion, enthusiasm, and talent and expertise, it rocks you back. I tell you, it really takes you back. I mentioned holding back tears a few times, and this was one I was like, I had to take a deep breath. They produce a video that kind of spans your career. Mark Royce, Jim Campbell came down there for that. Jerry Palmer, obviously. All those folks that were my mentors, those people, those individuals, men and women that meant so much to me and influenced me, inspired me throughout my career and my life. It's beyond words. I was speechless, and I owe so much to so many people. And this was an acknowledgement to that. And the fact that really I had an opportunity to thank them. Well, I saw the video and I saw your acceptance speech, and it was fantastic. I it brought a tear to my eye as well, Tom. Talk about your new position with the National Corvette Museum. What is your job going to be there? Oh, yeah, that's exciting. You know, again, a continuation of honors. Derek Moore and the board of directors there invited me to join their team as a consultant curator for their exhibits. I didn't hesitate. I said, absolutely, because in my mind, I see that, again, as an opportunity to give back and to continue to contribute to this entity, this wonderful thing that is Corvette. And you were able to co-curate the Ratfink exhibit that was at the National Corvette Museum. That had to be a blast. Oh, that was so much fun because, you know, among all the influences that we talked about here, Ed's artwork played such an important role. So I've had dialogue and contact with the Roth family. They are just such wonderful people. They were so willing and able to contribute and be part of this exhibit. They contributed a lot of the memorabilia stuff that was significant in his life, his development, even elements of his shop. Obviously, a lot of the cars that he had worked on over the years. So that all culminated in this fantastic display at the Corvette Museum, which was, I think, one of their most recent big events. And you're going to be working with curator Derek Moore from the National Corvette Museum. Derek has been a guest on the Corvette Today podcast. What have you two talked about as far as future exhibits and educational experience for the museum? Well, again, what I can tell you is that it's going to have a bright future. And again, it's just building on this growing enthusiasm from around the world towards Corvette and all the men and women, the people that are behind it and develop it, that are all part of it, whether creating the car or racing or enthusiasm or enthusiast events. We want to build upon that and keep it relevant. Have you guys talked about what the first assignment you're going to work together on at the museum? I can't speak too much specifically about future exhibits. What I am involved with is some upcoming displays that are in the works right now, as well as even some specific cars that kind of revolve around expressing the intent and what the museum's all about. So we want to make sure the visibility is out there and that there are visual and educational experiences for everybody. And I will tell you, as I've mentioned here through our talk here today, Steve, is that we really want to focus on the youth, you know, inspire that kid, you know, to go forward and to taking that to the next level and give him something that he can project forward, maybe not initially understanding what the impact is, but it plants a seed that could affect the life of a human being and then in turn, how they could make life better or impact the lives of others in a positive way going forward through this wonderful magic machine that's called the automobile and a Corvette. Absolutely. 
Now, you're not going to be moving down to Bowling Green, though, are you, Tom? Not in the foreseeable future. Bowling Green is a wonderful place. I always look forward to going down there for two reasons. Obviously, we have Corvette events revolving around the Corvette Museum, but the people are just wonderful. They're warm and friendly, and they're such genuine people and so welcoming. And there's something about the lifestyle. I can't put my finger on it. Maybe it's just the intensity of working in a corporate industrial environment. It's a beautiful environment. I'll be down there whenever required, and I look forward each and every time to go down there. It's not only a neat place to be, I like driving down there. It's a beautiful drive. I bet it is from Michigan down to Kentucky. I bet that's a gorgeous drive. Oh, it is. Going through those hills, and then you see the rocks and the stone piercing through. It's just beautiful. Tom, any closing thoughts here for everybody listening to Corvette today? First of all, thank you so much for having me. I still consider every day an honor to even be associated with Corvette. And again, that's just coming from my heart. And the fact that I've been one of those fortunate few that was given the gift to even not only have a Corvette or even be associated with, but be part of a team, members of these incredibly talented men and women that generate these cars. I feel compelled to give back, to contribute back what each and every one has contributed to my life to allow me to have that experience with Corvette. I look for opportunities to give back whether it's through organizations in Minnesota where I grew up with new friends and friends I've had since you know, I was 10 years old to the Corvette team and then obviously the Corvette Museum, the amazing adventure that is Corvette. Tom, thank you so much for being on the Corvette Today podcast. I can't tell you what an honor it is to have you, and it's a pleasure to talk to you, and living those stories with you again was absolutely outstanding. Oh, great. I'm glad to hear that. Thanks for listening to Corvette Today, and thanks to our sponsors, CTR America, who makes chassis components for the C6, C7, and C8 Corvette. Visit their aftermarket items online at aftermarket.ctr.co.kr. Also, American Hydrocarbon at AmericanHydrocarbon.com and KC Trends Motorsports at KCTrends.com. And don't forget E-Tech Custom Coatings at ETEKCustomCoatings.com or call 913-745-3732. You've been listening to Corvette Today with Steve Garrett. If you'd like to contact Steve with any thoughts on the podcast or ideas for guests on Corvette Today, you can email him at stevegarrettdj at gmail.com. That's stevegarrettdj at gmail.com. Garrett has two R's and two T's. Or connect with Steve on social media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram using at stevegarrettdj. Thanks again for listening to Corvette Today.